0: And it was the first time in my life that I met people who looked like me who did theater.
1: From Steppenwolf Theater Company in Chicago, Illinois.
0: I thought this is it. This is these are the people I wanted to be on a team. I like to be on a team.
1: This is half
0: hour.
2: Welcome back my friends hello hello we are back with another episode of half hour second season uh this week we've got me james vincent meredith
1: and me audrey francis caroline neff
2: and
3: me cliff chamberlain
2: cliff cliff cliff
3: doctor doctor doctor
2: this week we <laughs> have got a conversation 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 with you and sandra marquez one of my favorite people like on earth yeah oh Ah, my gosh! That you recorded a while back, and I am truly beyond jealous that you got to have a chance to sit down with her and rap with her, talk to her. She is the best. Tell me about how it was catching up with her. I have this
3: sort of great connection with Sandra because we're both from central California, and i've I just really because I just adore Sandra so much to to know that there's that connection made sense. It was like, oh, I see you. And I recognize you and we are from the same place on earth, but from vastly different experiences there. And so so I was really curious just to hear about, hey, I, I was like, I know my journey from there. I'm really interested to hear yours. And um, it's fascinating and as wonderful as she is.
1: And I was so lucky to be able to co-direct the audio version of I'm Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter with her. And that's exactly how Sandra always makes I think everybody feel. Like Sandra Marquez makes you feel instantly seen, heard, respected and valued. Yes. And as someone speaking for myself who has a little bit of like an ego, I would say <laughs> what? Um, Audrey? <laughs> <laughs> I never I know I never thought that I could, you know, co-direct something with anybody and Sandra Marquez is the most um inspiring Equitable, egalitarian artist that I could ever imagine collaborating with on a directorial level, and I just think that speaks so, vo- so such volumes of how she just constantly leads with her heart, with such humility, and and she doesn't have to because she's so incredibly creative and passionate and and, and visionary.
4: She's one of those very special people that everyone sort of feels a kinship with her, no matter how little the connection is. But mm. we were asked into the company the same year, and ever since, then, I'm like, "Oh, this is my sister. This is my Steppenwolf sister." And, and you know, I'm, I'm, and and only, only just because she she's generous and she allows me to <laughs> feel that way,
2: <laughs> and also just generous, just like s- smart, sharp. Like I'm instantly smarter for having conversations with her. Like. Whether they're five minutes or 50 minutes, she's... Yes. Oh. Okay. Should we go ahead and listen to this? Absolutely. Noise-canceling headphones on. Here we go. <laughs> this is Cliff Chamberlain and Sandra Marquez. Company, this is
3: your half-hour call. This is half-hour to the top of the show. Half-hour. If you have not signed in, please do so at this time. Half-hour. Half-hour. I feel like you are someone who I feel really connected to and have over the last few years, but I don't know you very well, right? I know. You know those people where you're like, I just, I just love Sandra Marquez.
0: Oh, that's so sweet. But I feel the same way about you. And uh, when I found out you were from the Central Valley of California, where I am from and where I am speaking to you from, I felt this connection with you because there's something about... I don't know. The, the People have an idea of what California is, but the Central Valley is a different thing than what people normally think. And I just think it's pretty cool that two people from the Central Valley are members of Steppenwolf Theater Ensemble. I don't know. I just think that's really awesome.
3: I think so, too. And I know my journey, but what was yours from the Central Valley? California roots are really strong yeah if you are from california especially the central valley this amazingly fertile place yeah roots are strong what was it like for you how did those roots shape you as a person and as an artist
0: wow um the question even makes me a little emotional so i might get a little um I am of Mexican background. Uh, I'm Mexican-American on both sides. My parents were both born here. Um, And um, culturally, the roots here are strong. and, And I've heard my dad say more than once, this is, you know, here out in the, in the west of america especially in the southwest of america the the country came to us and so i feel this real connection to to the land and not just the central valley but when i'm when i'm driving from the central valley to the coast mm. and i'm going through what steinbeck called you know the tawny hills um so that question is loaded with so many things about culture, not just culture as a, as a woman of Mexican descent, but also as a Californian. And, you know, when I was a kid, I had this very, I lived in this really uh, mixed neighborhood. And uh, it was my family. And then next door to the left was Mrs. Fleming. Her name was Cleo and her husband, Sam. And they were from the South. I don't know exactly where they were from. I don't remember. They were elderly. We would uh, mow their lawn and, and clean it up every every weekend um, for them to to help them. And then next door to them was uh, Marie Schwartz. And uh, I think she might have been the only Jewish person on our block. But she always wore a piece of tape right where her brow furrowed to get the to get the wrinkles out. Wow. Yeah. And she had a grandson named Gregory and Gregory was about three at the time. But uh, Gregory was always burying his glasses. He wore eyeglasses and he would bury them in the yard because he hated them. And uh. So she, you'd hear him screaming, Gregory, where are those glasses? And then, you know, people, we would go help and try to dig up the yard to find where the glasses were. And next door to them were the Hansons. And it was a big family. And Michelle Hanson, I used to play with her. Across the street was a Cuban family that pretty much kept to themselves. Then directly across the street from us was a woman named, um, Oh, now I'm forgetting. I want to say it was Edith. And she had a daughter, Elizabeth, who was, uh, uh, physically challenged. And then next door to them was a Dutch family and the wife had passed away, but there was the the dad and his son and his son was dating, a. uh, Uh, Chicana. And I remember because they would, that was back in the seventies. And so she would walk precincts with, he would walk with her to register voters. And she came over to register us. And we were like, oh no, we're already registered because my aunt was part of the Chicano movement. And I would walk precincts with her to help register voters. And then next door to them uh, were the De Pintos. And they were an Italian family from New York. And it was Tilly DePinto, And she would babysit me sometimes. And she had a son named Sonny. And whenever Tilly was away, Sonny would have these big parties. And my mom and I would get binoculars and look through to see what was happening at the party. (laughs) (laughs) She had a daughter named uh, Teresa and another one as well. But she had a very thick Italian accent. So sometimes when she would babysit us, uh, my brother and I would just giggle because of the accent. And then next door to them was... An average American family. Um, don't remember them too well. And then next door to them was Greg Tabor, who was my brother's age. And uh, his dad had married a woman from Germany. And so there she was with her. Uh, she's so interesting. And she she always walked barefoot. I remember that. I remember thinking, that lady's going to have problems. She always walks barefoot. She's going to catch a cold because my mother would never let us walk barefoot. And then next door to us, on, on back on my side of the street, were the Reynagas a family from mexico and then next door to them were two i think it was hud housing it may have been hud housing i don't even know if it was called that then but it was a couple of uh empty lots that houses were built and uh there was a family that that uh moved in right next door to the Reynagas, nagas and uh, they had a lot of kids it was an irish family um but the nicest boy was my age just a sweet sweet kid his name was david Uh, blonde blonde blue-eyed just a gentle soul and years later uh my parents heard on the news that he had been in prison for murdering someone and I remember thinking how is that possible he was the kindest gentlest soul in that big family and uh I just remember my parents were really emotional about that uh and then next door to them was a Portuguese family that had moved in. So that was my growing up. So to me, that was the epitome of, of California. And it was the seventies, and we 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 played baseball in the streets, and and Mrs. Reynaga was always yelling at her her sons to be easier on me, to let me hit the ball, because they were much older than I was. And uh and so to my mind, that's what I associate with my childhood and obviously california because that's where i was and it was so mixed so then um so i felt like i knew this whole i knew all these worlds a little bit of these worlds and did i know them super well no maybe not but this is where these worlds kind of came together and it was interesting and it was and in my fantasy life i i become a writer and i and i write about that. I've never had a desire to write plays, but I have had a desire to write stories or short stories.
3: When you were talking about that trip through Steinbeck Country, I, I got chills because I'm like, I know, at least I know my version of those roads. For sure. Because I, I, I drove them so many times. Um, and please write that story because the fact that that place existed where you grew up is amazing. And the fact that you remembered all that is unbelievable. Your memory... <laughs> so please write that. Okay, so tell us how you got from that amazing uh, experience in California with all so many different people to Chicago.
0: Yeah, so I went to Fresno State, and while I was there, I decided to do uh, a semester of school in London, And, and I knew I wanted to be an actor, and you know, honestly, Cliff, there were things that I wanted to do that were sort of I was encouraged not to do them. And I think it's because of what I looked like, and there weren't a lot of people who looked like me out in the professional world. So there was this sort of thing about I I, I imagine the people and the professors who said those things were probably I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt here and assume that it's because they were thinking, this poor kid doesn't know that people like her don't do this. Mm. But I also had really amazing professors at Fresno State who were super encouraging. And uh, at some point, I decided that I should go to graduate school. And I don't really know how I had this on my mind, but I knew that women after a certain age probably don't work very much anymore in the field. So I should be able to teach. And I like teaching. Mm -hmm. So I went to graduate school at U of I, downstate uh, Illinois and uh, Champaign. And... um, Learned a lot there.
3: Was it scary to go to another part of the country? Had had you traveled much? I had not. How did you pick up Illinois for grad school?
0: So I'd done the semester in London, and that was the first time I'd ever left the state of California, and that was so amazing. And then I backpacked through Europe afterwards with a friend of mine, Nancy Holiday, that I'm still in touch with. And I remember getting back and thinking, if you can do that, go to all these different countries not speak the language, be practically broke, barely eat, but have such an amazing experience. You can do anything. So when I got back, I, I still needed to finish up a few credits of Fresno State, but I thought, you know what? I want to go to school. Here are the things that I know I need. I know I need a program that has a strong movement uh, program. I know I know I, I knew the things that I needed as an actor to get stronger. Or at least I thought I knew those things. I, I knew some of them, and then I learned when I was in school that there were more things that I needed. But <laughs> I decided that I should go to school not in California. Since I knew California, I should go someplace else and experience it. Right. I had no idea that California is like a thing in and of itself. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah. So I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And on the drive back, my dad drove m- with me. You know, it was the 80s, but oh my goodness... There were, after pretty much Denver, any restaurant I walked into or whatever, every head would turn. They just, it was just, I was so other. Mm. And so in my first month of uh, graduate school, I think I had five dreams in Spanish. Now, Spanish was my first language. I didn't speak English, according to my parents, until I was four. But it is not my primary language. And I'm not, I don't consider myself fluent because we switched to English once I started going to school. Uh, Right. And my parents didn't want us to suffer the same prejudice as they had uh, because of their accents. So, um, and then later, you know, I I think they were kind of remorseful about that and wished that we were completely fluent in both languages. But there I am in downstate Illinois. The only other people who looked like me were the people who owned the Mexican restaurant in town. And uh, it was very... in many ways, it was very lonely. I've always liked people, so I can make friends with pretty much anybody. You know, I, I just like humans. I like people. But I didn't know what an effect that would have on me, the the culture shock of that. It's one thing to be in Europe and not see a lot of people who look like you because it's a different country. Right. But to be in America, in my own country, and have people look at me as other Or stare at me in a restaurant, especially on the road trips to and from Champaign. It was really shocking to the system. So I had five dreams that were in Spanish, I remember, the first month. And I think it was just my subconscious was like, I was just lonely for that. And lonely, I I hadn't realized that the rest of the country was so homogenous.
3: I didn't know what that meant company, this is your 15-minute call. 15 minutes till the top of the show. 15-15. How you've described sort of feeling othered or having, you know, experiences of maybe professors maybe thinking, oh, she doesn't know yet that there won't be as many roles for her in the profession as she thinks. How did your experience in your early days as an actress shape the way you think about actresses just starting now, and your role in their um, careers as a mentor, as a leader, as someone who carves out space for others?
0: I think it has completely shaped that. I didn't mean to move to Chicago. (laughs) I meant to stop for a little while. I had a lot of friends here because I had gone to grad school. I meant to stay for six months, maybe a year, and then come back to California. The winters alone were enough for me to get the heck out of here. (laughs) Um, When I moved to Chicago, my first show in the city of Chicago was with a company called Teatro Vista. And it was the first time in my life uh, that I met people who looked like me who did theater. And I often tell this story, and you may have heard it too, but I couldn't sleep the first week of rehearsal because I was so giddy with Amazement, joy, ebullience about meeting these people, and so when Eddie Torres invited me to join the company, I said yes, I will join this company. And and then the next year, he invited me to be the artistic director, and so uh, I'm sorry, associate artistic director alongside him, which I did for for like ten years. Um, but what I realized at the time. Was that I had a choice. I could continue to go it alone as I had been doing for so long. And I had wanted to do a lot more classical work in grad school. I fell in love with it. And I thought that's what I would be doing more of. But when I met the people at Theater Vista and started meeting all these amazing Latinx playwrights, I, I thought this is it. This is These are the people. I want to be on a team. I like to be on a team. Mm. I enjoy being on a team. And this was a team I wanted to be a part of. And so those actors, amazing actors like John uh, Carlos Seda and Maricela Ochoa, may she rest in peace, and um, Anthony Diaz-Perez, and just really amazing artists who were so generous and so uh, full of life. And many of whom, Gustavo Meado, people like that, many of whom were, were of Mexican-American descent, but others who were not, Puerto Rican and... And Argentinian, and, and it was a mixed company. It was it was there were African Americans and 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 white folks, and it was a little bit of every everything. And it's changed a lot throughout the years. But those that my early time in that company felt like like a real home. And so, as I've been teaching all these years and working, it, it my mom always says that our job in life is to leave the world a little bit better than how we found it. And so I th- see my role as somebody who can, that's maybe the, a way I can do that. You know, because mm. sometimes what I haven't told you is the two year detour that I took because I thought I wanted to join the convent. Whoa. So I took, yeah, so I took some time off from college. And so those women were the strongest feminists I've met to date. And they were real radicals within the church. And, um, and I, I just fell in love with their with their, charism or their, their ethic and their uh, real belief in social justice and the work, the work they were doing. So those kind of seemed to fuse. And so going back to being an actor seems sort of paltry. It seems mm. sort of small. And yet I just really felt like this is what I wanted to do. And so I, I started to realize that I had uh, an opportunity within myself to create my own mission, my own charism. And if I could, even in small ways, help those coming behind me, because for me, it was very lonely. And i didn't realize mm. how lonely until I met the people at that the I didn't realize what I had been longing for, what I had been missing, and then mm. I found it, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, and so I tried to be uh supportive of of those coming after me and you know and and it's it's hard sometimes I want to see everything that they're doing, I want to see shows, I want to go see those things and it's it's sometimes hard to 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 get to everything or to do everything. But I see so much so much young talent and I'm excited that that they know that there's a place for them out there or they or they are working to create those spaces because what a shame it is when we don't uplift other people's talent. It is our loss.
3: Mm. You talked about being loving being part of a team and you joined the Steppenwolf team late into your time in Chicago. Yeah. What was that experience like to to take all the knowledge that you had and join up with a theater company that had already been around for many years?
0: So, I did my first show with Steppenwolf. I think it was 1999 maybe. It was it was a streetcar named Desire. And so, I had and 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 during my years in Chicago, um, you know, you know how it is, Cliff. We get invited to do an, a, an audition, or we get invited to, you know, to, hey, do, are you interested in auditioning for this? And there are times where you say, I can't. I'm not available. And so uh, there were there were times, sometimes when Steppenwolf would invite me to to audition for something, but I was very busy with that or I was busy with doing whatever. And since theaterista was my heart and soul for so many years, and continues to be a big part of my heart, I um, I wasn't always able to take advantage of, of the audition opportunities. That's just the nature of being an actor. So then I was, but I have done some shows at Steppenwolf, and, you know, it's a storied company, and it's got a lot of history, and it's got a lot of heft, and it can be daunting. It can be daunting to walk into the rehearsal room of Steppenwolf, yeah. right?
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: And so um, and it can also be pretty fun, pretty darn fun. <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs>
0: and uh, Chicago actors will understand this. We the, the great thing about Chicago is that you can be doing theater in a small place where, you know, uh, you need some props and you're lucky if you get them by opening night and then you come to a place, a bigger place like Seppamulf, and you're standing in rehearsal room and you think, I think I'd like a pillow for this. And and thirty minutes later somebody brings you four choices of a pillow. Which one do you want? You know, so that's pretty amazing. Yeah. 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 Um but I think for me, I wanted to know why. What's the why? There hadn't been anyone it was it came as such a shock to me, honestly, because there hadn't been anybody who looked like me in the company, so I didn't even know that was a thing, that mm. it was a thing that somebody like me could be invited into the company. So it was daunting in that way. And, and I think that I'm still, uh, I feel much more at home now, but I do feel like I continually look for ways to ex- help expand how we're thinking. And along with people like yourself and other company members and, and the amazing staff and Anna and, and th- there's a lot of thinking about that. How do we broaden? And I was um, proud to be, to be part of that initiative, to be brought in yeah. during that, that time. Um, and I, I'm, I'm proud of the work that gets done. So it 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 was it was daunting, exciting. Uh, I have very rarely in my life forgotten to eat. I just don't. I'm not a person like when people say, "Oh, I forgot to eat." I just want to slap them. I'm like, "That shut up already!" What do you mean you forgot to eat? Who forgets to eat? But the day that Anna invited me in, I thought I was getting fired. I was doing um, Mary Page Marlowe, and I got an email that morning from Anna saying, I need to speak to you before 4.30 today. And I was like, oh, oh
4: boy. Uh.
0: So I practiced all day how to graciously get fired. And I thought, you know what? (gasps) Okay. Everyone gets fired at some point in their life. Okay. Uh, And I had been pretty vocal about some things about my character that didn't that I I wanted to talk through that didn't sit well with me, so I thought that's what this was about, and I was like, okay, well, at least I go to bed at night knowing that I said what I needed to say. And then when she said we'd like to know if you'd like to join the ensemble, I was dumbfounded. I couldn't, I literally could not speak. That was not what I was expecting. And then my wow. and then when I finally could speak, my 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 first question was why why me? Because I I wanted to know, uh, because no one wants to feel like they're a token and so i Mm -hmm. needed to understand i needed to understand what this meant and i feel like space has been made for me to speak whatever i need to speak
3: so well i'm i'm so glad because i love to listen it's very it's a it's an incredibly fortunate position to be in to be around uh, people like you so um okay so Before I just keep talking about how cool I think you are, uh, I want to ask you, you played Clytemestra for years, right?
0: Yeah, I did it four years, for four years.
3: Four years, one character, multiple plays. How did playing Clytemestra over the course of four years uh, influence you as an actress and as a human being?
0: Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, That was always my dream, to play that role. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just love the Greeks. And when I was in grad school, I got to play Hecuba. And, uh, you know, I was 20 something, whatever. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. But I had so much fun not knowing what I was doing. And so years later at the Goodman, I got to play uh, in Luis Alfaro's adaptation of uh, Electra sophocles electra he wrote a, a play called electricidad and so i got to play the Clytemnestra role in that and her name is clemencia yeah. in that and then i g- got invited to audition for clytemnestra at the court theater and i remember thinking i want to do this so badly oh oh gosh oh gosh oh gosh yeah. and i didn't get to uh, you know i don't off i don't get called in for classical stuff uh it happens more now so working with charlie on that was just so it was amazing, and uh, we did Iphigenia at Aulis, and then we did uh, Agamemnon, which is really hard, and then we did Electra, and then we went back and did Iphigenia at Aulis at the Getty out in Malibu, right. and to do it again, that time I was like, okay, I think I finally understand what I'm supposed to be doing here. When you get to replay a role, you you learn so much, and you realize how the first one was so lacking, But um, <laughs> but you know, that's okay, that's okay. Um, but I, ha- I have to say, I-, I just love learning about the Greeks. I just love, I just love all that. I love the challenge of the language, the challenge of the time, and also it's a heavy toll because I remember thinking after doing, I was like, okay, I need a break from the Greeks because those are the same things we're dealing with as human beings now. Here we are, mm. 2,500 years later, and these are the things that we are dealing with, and it's amazing. sad at the same time, you know, it, it, it really is. And I wish I could read the stuff from other cultures or know the stuff from other cultures as well. It makes me hungry for that. You know, like, like what did the, the Mayans do, you know, what were they doing before the Spanish burnt all their stuff? What were the, what were in Africa, what was going on? And I, and I, and in, in Asia, what was going on? And I know there's a lot out there that I can learn about. It makes me hungry to learn about those things and how other cultures were doing because storytellers are part of human existence. So again, it just makes me hungry for all the different kinds of stories from all the different cultures.
3: Company. This is your five minute call, five minutes till the top of the show. five minutes till the top of the show. this is five. So one you know time that I love to sort of relax in and sit in is the half hour before a show. Mm. Um, what is your half hour routine? <laughs> My half hour
0: routine uh, is about calming the nerves um I like to get to the theater early to settle in to get my makeup on to have just sort of a peaceful dressing room to calm down uh and and then I sort of like I have my little markers like at 20 minutes of the before a curtain I want to to know that I have such and such done. And at 10 minutes before curtain, I know that I need to have such and such done. I'm also a person who looks at their lines every day. I once heard that, uh, La- who was it? Uh, Lawrence Olivier did that. And I just mm-hmm. feel better if I do it. Uh, yeah, I just can relax more. So I like to have that done by top of half hour, no later than 20 minutes top of half hour sometimes I'll do it in the morning before I even go to the theater I'll, I'll start the day that way but but normally I like to do it a little bit closer to to curtain time and uh I may look over my notes that I've taken in rehearsal sometimes and then I just do some deep breathing yeah. and then I'm always so worried that I'm gonna have to pee while I'm on stage so I go to the bathroom <laughs> like four times before in that half hour like I just gotta make sure I just gotta make sure
3: same Really? oh I think that's really the biggest <laughs> secret about actors that m- most actors are just peeing non-stop <laughs> before a show that's like that's what's happening <laughs> chances are
0: oh my gosh it's true
3: we now have the half hour lightning round segment oh no so I'm going to yeah. ask you some lightning round questions okay just whatever pops into your brain oh boy okay Okay, you ready? Yes. Okay. What was your welcome to Steppenwolf moment?
0: Uh, The first ensemble meeting. It was interesting.
3: What job didn't you get that broke your heart?
0: Oh, I don't want to say.
3: Okay. Okay. What animal do you most identify with?
0: Uh, A cat crossed with a dog. I think I'm loyal like a dog, but I have some cat qualities in that I also like to be sort of, like, on my own and independent.
3: Yeah. Uh, What's your most prized piece of play memorabilia? Oh.
0: You know what? I I don't know if I have one, but uh, I often save the cards that people write for each show, and then I keep them with all together per each show. And uh, what I want to do is I want to get a glass vase and then put all the cards in there. And just so like a little piece of art. Oh. And then I'll have that when I'm old.
3: Can I, I'm stealing that. Okay. That's awesome. You
0: can, you can, you can steal that. I let you.
3: Uh, What artist is giving you the most inspiration right now?
0: Oh my gosh, that... Wow. That is, um, well, you know what? Lately I would say, um, I I would say Luis Alfaro never fails to inspire me, uh, with what he does and what he's doing. And I had the, the honor and pleasure of recording. He, he just published, this is lightning run. He, uh, that's it.
3: Okay. Okay. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) What do you daydream about?
0: Getting a dog and and, uh, a a tiny house on the coast.
3: If you had a superpower, what would it be?
0: I would fly. And I would be flying all the time. (laughs) I would fly over those tawny hills. I would fly. I would just fly all the time, Cliff. And then I'd land in really tall trees and... uh, and then I would go to like places like Vancouver or whatever if I was in the mood for a little rain. Fly over cool cities. Yeah,
3: I would fly. Uh, what is one thing you do every day?
0: Meditate. I meditate every day.
3: What's your favorite place to unwind in Chicago?
0: My condo, my home. I have a great living room with a great view and it looks like a tree house and I just like to... Chill there. Also, the lake. I love the lake. I love walking to the lake. Mm.
3: And finally, if you were a character in a play, what would your character's description be?
0: Kind of wacky. Kind of absent-minded. At times, super organized. uh, Loyal. A little bit neurotic. And... A big laugher.
3: (laughs) Company, this is your Places Call. Places, please, for the top of the show. Places, please, for the top of the show. Have a good one, everyone.
2: Places, please, places. I got (laughs) to do a a softer (laughs) air horn. (laughs) Uh, I love her so much. She's the best. She is the best. Yes.
4: She has equal parts like one of the wisest people I've ever met, and then one of like she's she's also so incredibly honest through this. Like I, I, my half hour routine is not much different, particularly depending on how long the play is. And I'm glad that somebody's talking about her bodily functions and how we have to deal with those before we go onto a stage in front of people. It's, yeah, it, that math is really hard to do. Yes, I just love her honesty. <laughs>
2: Also, one of these cool things that I think about with her, uh, one of the things that she, she said to me and and to other people, I'm sure, is she's good at like two things. And I can't remember what one of them was. But the other thing is, is she's like a real connector of people. You know what I mean? Like hmm. she she has like such a wide swath of people in the world that she's gotten to know because she's such a warm hearted, honest, open uh, person uh, that she finds ways to connect people who normally wouldn't be connected. She's she's a connector.
1: And I'm so glad she didn't become a nun.
2: Yes. Yeah. Lucky for us.
4: But I do want her to write that book. Sandra, if you're still listening, give us that book.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um she's someone we could talk about like for like a whole other podcast. Anyway, I For a I, three hour.
3: When we do yes. three hour
2: Yes, we'll bring her back. Actually, we won't have to bring her back. We can just talk for three hours about her because we love her so
1: she's awesome. Yeah, Um, we'll do it when she releases her book.
2: Yes, there you go, there you go. (laughs) Um, That's incredible. Guys, that is our time for this week. Um, Thank you for listening to this episode of Half Hour brought to you by Steppenwolf Theater Company.
3: And thanks again to our guest this week, Sandra Marquez.
2: If you
4: want to check out Sandra's work, and I highly recommend that you do, I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter by Isaac Gomez and co-directed by Sandra Marquez and Audrey Francis. What? This radio play is available on Steppenwolf Now, our streaming platform featuring six digital pieces by some of the most exciting voices in the American theater.
1: Steppenwolf Now memberships are currently available, and for a limited time, we're extending an exclusive deal just for half-hour listeners. Okay, $25 off when you use the code HALFHOUR at Steppenwolf.org slash now.
2: HALF HOUR is produced by Patrick Zacham, mixed and edited by Matthew Chapman.
3: The theme music for HALF HOUR is by Michael Bodine and Rob Milburn.
1: The voice of this episode's stage manager was Mary Hungerford. Special thanks to Aaron Cook, Joel Mormon,
3: Kara Henry,
1: Christopher Hueser, Kirsten Adams, Madeline Long, Corinne Florentino,
2: and all of the folks at Steppenwolf.
3: Follow us on Twitter at THTR or on Facebook and Instagram where we will be sharing some incredible photos of Sandra's life and career.
4: And you can always get in touch by emailing halfhour at Steppenwolf.org.
1: In two weeks, we'll be back with a conversation with Tony Award-winning scenic and costume designer, Clint Ramos.
3: Our first designer on Half Hour. Till next time, this is James Vincent Meredith,
1: Caroline Neff, Audrey Francis,
3: and Cliff Chamberlain. A lifetime to engage... Half hour to places.